Welcome to this edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. Being August, there's not a lot of new financial data. Everybody in New York and a lot of the places that assemble this data kind of take the month off. But we do have some good initial jobless claims being low again. We're headed down to some new numbers. And uh, unemployment still 3.9. Oil steady in the high 60s, even though we probably have a trade agreement with Mexico as of a couple of hours ago. So that price might even drop a little more. And all the rest of the things, the interest rates, are uh, anticipating the Federal Reserve almost certainly raising rates here in September, so naturally they've rallied. Generally, this time of the economic cycle, we start seeing bubbles in the economy, real estate, stock market, something like that. There aren't that many, if any at all, out there. What we do have right now, and here's sort of a, a great indication, is a lot of stabilized real estate market, both rental and ownership. The ownership rate's down to pretty much its natural rate, 64.3%, 64.4%, a good number. Low vacancy rates in homes and relatively low rental vacancy rates. Normally some people would suggest that, gee, they're going to start building more. Uh, no, they're probably not. They've got a lot in line and they can't wait to start occupying it. But nor is there a bubble forming in this marketplace. Even in Denver, you're going to start to see more for sale signs out there. And they're going to be up for a little while. The buyers, and given we're in a rising interest rate environment, are very price sensitive. I don't see that changing in the near future. I will report that the S&P 500 is back up into new territory again. Uh, some parts of the media will tell you, gee, this is the longest run in history, and so on and so forth. Well, it isn't, nor does it really matter a lot. Those of you that remember Black Monday in 1987, uh, that was the beginning of probably the longest really positive recovery in the stock market. But if you take a peek at this chart, you'll notice since the recovery in 2009, this one has been productive. It's been profitable. It's been very, very lucrative in the marketplace. But it's also, and much more importantly, it's been driven by earnings for the most part, not speculation or fear of Y2K or a number of other technology boomlets that were going on at the time. We really do have good earnings out of the S&P 500. Now, some of that is due to the fact that a lot of companies in the S&P 500 have been buying their own stock back so if there's less stock out there, the numbers per share of stock look better. And in some respects, the valuation of the S&P 500 reflects that today. However, this is not a bubble at this point anyway. These earnings-driven numbers show no signs of abating or slowing. Uh, even Target put in some great quarterly numbers here, which great for the retail side of things. But everybody else are doing better. And 2019 probably won't have any impact on that at all. Even if the Fed continues to raise their rates, we're still going to see good earnings. And this number in the S&P 500 is probably going to get better. On the other side of things, we're approaching budget time in the government. And uh, we've talked that there's a lot of debt out there. We issued a lot of debt to solve the 2008 Great Recession, but you'd think that would become a huge budget item, the interest paid on all that debt. 
Well, if you notice here, it really isn't. The dollar amount that's paid out on the government debt, the interest payments, really isn't that much more than it was in 1990. One, in part, that a lot of it's short-term stuff. Two, the interest rates are a lot lower, and they're going to probably be lower there for a while. And most importantly, it's this. This is called the structure. This is the by nature where the government debt is. All the way to the right is the 30-year debt. There's a lot of it out there, two and a quarter trillion, something like that. Interest rates on that's pretty low. And that never, almost never, rolls over. Rarely does a 30-year treasury mature, and when they do, those that own 30-year treasuries and their institutions and banks and insurance companies just buy another one. The next one is a 10-year, and 10-years are bought in the mortgage business. And those that are funding and financing mortgages, they don't turn them over either. But the actual cost of the interest and the interest that's paid out to these people that own all these mortgages is just a transfer payment anyway. It is a budget item, but as soon as the money comes in, it goes right back out to the joy of those that own these treasuries. <clears throat> We have a flattening yield curve. The red here in the middle is where we were last week. It's getting flatter, normally suggesting we might be heading into a recession. It's not suggesting that now. What it's saying is the long 10-year, 30-year treasuries aren't getting cheaper. They're still expensive, which means their yield is down so as the Federal Reserve raises the short end, the three-month, the six-month, the one-year, the two-year, which is what they're doing, that rate comes up, the long end of the curve just stays where it is. That's a flattening yield curve. If it inverts, meaning the short-term money is more expensive than the long-term money, well, that's probably not that great. But right now, what we still have is a fight to maintain 2% inflation, and Federal Reserve going to raise rates. We're at 2% now. We're probably going to be, well, I think they're going to target three. We'll get 25 basis points in September, maybe something in November, maybe two more in 19. So if the Fed funds is 2% today and it's 3% this time next year, well, that's fine. The Fed will probably be ready to stop or ready to significantly slow down we'll have a bond rally and the stock market will do better. There are people out there that are selling treasuries. It's not just Turkey. The media made a big deal that Turkey had to sell all of their treasuries because they were angry with the United States. Well, that isn't the reason at all. They needed to sell their treasuries because that's the only real asset they had. And those that want to be paid from Turkey don't want lira. They want dollars. So Turkey had to sell all their treasuries. These other people, Ireland, Switzerland, Bermuda, a few others, places that have been tax havens for the last several years, they have a low tax environment in those countries, but they've lost a lot of dollars and a lot of dollar-based assets. In some respects, with the new corporate tax rates here in the United States, a lot of that money was repatriated. But a lot of that money went to the one place where the corporate tax rate is zero. Well, that's the Cayman Islands. That's just the way money flows around.
And you'd look at this and say, oh, $30 billion went to the Cayman Islands. That's really huge. Well, it is for the Cayman Islands, but that's about as much money as the treasury market trades in about four hours. There are things brewing with the emerging markets, including Mexico, Chile, Turkey, a few others. Those all the way on the left-hand side here in the red are countries that have issued sovereign debt, debt in their own name, but they've issued them in dollars because a lot of people don't want their native currencies. They don't want pesos or liras or whatever. They want dollars. So they issue these bonds in dollars and they're expected to pay them back in dollars. Now, when the dollar gets more expensive or stronger, like it has been, it's harder and harder for a smaller nation to come up with the dollars to pay their debt off. This is a big factor for Spain right now. They own about $85 billion worth of Turkish debt, and they really want to be paid back in dollars. Turkey doesn't have very many dollars left, and the Spanish don't want Turkish lira. That's going to be a problem in the near future. The rest of these countries have a similar problem. Unless they can come up with enough dollars to pay off their debt, they're going to have to pay their debt back in their own currency, which in some respects, like in the case of Turkey, it'll cost twice as much to cover the same debt. That's what hurts the emerging markets. Now, you'll notice here, we put in here for laughs, the World Bank did, two countries that have lots of dollars. And what debt they have issued in dollars is very easily covered. They're very good credits. Interestingly enough, it's Saudi Arabia and China. And I'll leave it to your imagination how Saudi Arabia and China got all those dollars. The hint is they sell a lot of stuff to us. Now, U.S. banking system, how exposed are they if there's a problem in the emerging markets? Well, it's about $790 billion. It's been that number for a long time. It's not significant. Uh, there are still good companies out in these emerging market nations, even if the nation has a currency crisis or something else. So it's not gonna, if there is a tragedy out there, another contagion or something like that in the emerging markets, it's not gonna have a huge impact. It'll play big in the media, but that's about it. These are the people that count in where the United States invests their money and where these people invest their money in the United States. It has been for a long time. Europe is far and away our most important economic partner. Always have been. It's not China, it's not Asia, it's not Mexico, it's not Canada, it's Europe. We invest a lot of money there. They invest a lot of money here. Uh, Asia, most of that is China. Generally, there has been some U.S. investment in China. That's slowing significantly. And we've already talked last time about how the ability of the Chinese to invest in the U.S. has basically been stifled, if not curtailed. Everybody else, well, they're falling behind. Finally, uh, the opportunity that China has had in the past to acquire businesses in Europe and the United States is really being curtailed. The Germans certainly slammed the door in their face, and the United States has made it very unpopular and very unattractive for the Chinese to purchase stuff here. That is the source of China's technology, is other people's technology. They either buy the company or steal it. I think that's gonna start impacting how their economy grows or cools. 
remember, the primary thing you have to keep in mind about China is they have to employ 835 million people. It's a big deal. Okay, again, if you have any questions, just send me an email here. I'll be happy to talk about it. That's all for now. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.